They were determined to keep the Apaches as wards of the state so that they could continue to profit by supplying both the reservation and the soldiers sent to guard it. War was good for business. History is the most important tool for change. In order to improve ourselves, we must look into our past to understand our shortcomings and our achievements. Sometimes events and people are lost and not taught in schools. Join me as I take a look into human history and rediscover these people and events that have shaped our lives and find out why we're here. Now, the exhilarating conclusion to the Apache Wars as the hunt for Geronimo, the notorious murderer and raider in the entire Southwest, begins. Welcome to Why We're Here podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Shields. As I stated, this episode will be the end of the Apache Wars saga. Although this has been a roller coaster ride of four episodes, it is still only a small part of the story. I can't recommend enough the book that has been the source for this series, The Apache Wars, The Hunt for Geronimo, The Apache Kid, and The Captive Boy Who Started the Longest War in American History by Paul Andrew Hutton. Now let's refresh what happened from last week. John Clum became obsessed as the new agent of San Carlos to consolidate nearly all the Apache tribes in one reservation. This resulted in the breakout of the Warm Springs Apaches and Victorio decided to go to war. He and his warriors ended up in Mexico where the Mexican army ambushed them and Victorio was shot dead. Nana was left with the somber duty of leading the survivors back to the U.S. where he became inspired to resurrect Victorio and the other fallen chiefs by the dance performed by the Dreamer. The military became concerned about what the Dreamer was doing and tried to remove him from his camp, which resulted in a vicious battle where it was discovered that many of the Apache scalps had mutinied. The Dreamer was killed during this battle. The death of the Dreamer sparked fear and distrust among the Apaches and caused the breakout of a warrior who would cause repeated trouble for the U.S. Army. The military decided to use officers familiar with the Apaches and hoped their history of tenacious force would subdue the restless warriors. But the short-sightedness of the officers led to unstable conditions of surrender, and the warriors would not remain peaceful and quiet. After they were chased into Mexico, problems arose for the army, but a resolution to the fleeing Apaches seemed to have come to an end. This premature surrender had been for nothing, as the Apaches were once again forced to move and were labeled as prisoners of war. After years of fighting, relocating, and imprisonment, the hunt for Geronimo and his followers became the linchpin to end the Apache Wars and determine the fate of the Apache Indians. All the built-up rage from their oppression was directed to retaliation for the death of the Dreamer. The Apaches were paranoid at first, even though the San Carlos agent Joseph Tiffany told him that there was nothing to fear. But a council of leaders and warriors were called together where Geronimo reminded them of the treachery of Mangus Coloradus or of Cochise with Cut the Tent. And on September 30th, 1881, he and Wa escaped San Carlos late at night with 375 Chiricahuas and joined with a small band of White Mountain Apaches. They broke into four groups and rode toward the San Pedro Valley. Along the way, they raided an unguarded wagon train, killing the crew. Then they killed telegraph repairmen and pulled down the lines, and also stole 135 horses from a local ranch. They swiftly led over 500 animals into Mexico to join with Nana and Ketane, where Wa assumed command of the combined bands. Mickey Free had enlisted in the San Carlos Indian Police Force shortly after Geronimo and Wa's breakout. He was sent to Fort Apache to arrest the scouts involved in the Sibiku mutiny. While there, rumors began to spread that he was a traitor to the White Mountain people. There was also talk of Geronimo returning to liberate Loco and his people. 
Mickey reported the rumors to Tiffany, who told Wilcox, who sent troops to the Mexican border to try and catch Geronimo. Mickey had signed up to join the scout company and was enlisted as a sergeant. Al Sieber and his scouts joined the troops to watch for any signs of the fugitives. They discovered a trail from Mexico heading north, and a dispatch was sent to the nearest telegraph station. It was all for naught, as Geronimo's raiders had cut the lines near the sub-agency on the Gila River, and he descended on his old enemy's camp in San Carlos on April 19, 1882. Loco refused to go with the man he blamed for forcing their removal, so Geronimo pointed his rifle. He would call it a rescue, but many of the Warm Springs people said it was flat-out kidnapping. The warriors led the people from the camp as Sieber was in hot pursuit. The scouts followed the bloody trail left, catching up to the hungover warriors after a raid on three freight wagons with whiskey. The scouts, though, only managed to scatter them into the Chiricahua Mountains. Mickey and his scouts followed the trail to the boot heel of New Mexico, but were forbidden to follow across the border. Sieber decided to take his scouts across at night to locate the Apache camp. They founded the Sierra and Medio and brought the troops in silently to encircle the Apaches and prepared for dawn. However, three Apache women came upon the scouts, and one of the scouts shot one of the women. This shot alerted the camp, and the scouts opened fire, shooting anything that moved in the darkness of night. The Apaches retreated to a rocky hill to return fire as Loco called out to cease shooting their brethren, but the scouts returned with the curses and gunfire, which ultimately wounded Loco in the leg. He was able to gather his people and retreated to the mountains as Geronimo covered their escape. The troops were forced to withdraw due to the lack of ammunition. The battle ended with a dozen warriors and five women dead, and most of the property left to be taken. Wa'anana had stayed in Mexico to protect their people while Geronimo went back for Loco. They moved the families to the Sierra Madre while the Mexican troops were occupying Janos. Wa sent several warriors to warn Geronimo about the troops, but the Mexicans intercepted them. They were tortured for information on Geronimo's whereabouts, then executed once the Mexicans got what they needed. Geronimo and his column reached Alisos Creek on April 29th when the Mexican troops opened fire. The Apaches took position in an arroyo and held the Mexicans back. The Mexicans decided to set fire to the grass and smoke out the Apaches, but Geronimo would use the smoke as a cover for escape. He had proposed strangling the infants to keep their crying from giving them away, but Geronimo's cousin threatened to shoot him if that was ever suggested again. Lozen helped the women and children escape through the smoke as the Mexicans charged the arroyo, only to find it empty. Once the smoke cleared, 78 Chiricahuas were found dead, mostly from Loco's band, and 33 women were captured. Many Chihenis blamed this massacre on the man who forced them out at gunpoint. Loco performed the customary ritual of mourning by cutting off his hair, but he never allowed it to regrow, which signified his mourning until his death. After two weeks, Geronimo rejoined with Wa, growing their camp to around 600 people, which meant that the raids had to increase to sustain that many people. During one of the raids in late January of 1883, the Mexican cavalry attacked the camp and slaughtered the men, women, and children. One of the women killed was Wa's favorite wife and Geronimo's cousin. Geronimo never forgave Wa for her death, because of the rumors that Wa was too drunk to properly place the guards. Many of the Apaches left to follow Geronimo as Wa, nearly alone, went his separate way. The failed attempts to bring in Geronimo saw the end of Colonel Wilcox as department commander, and who better to lead the troops than the wolf himself, General George Crook. Crook, with Lieutenant Bork and Sieber, held a council with the White Mountain leaders at Fort Apache. They gave him a number of complaints and wondered why he had left. Quote, Every time they put in a crop of corn or saw their cattle herds increase, the Indian agents or the soldiers destroyed them. 
It was as if the White Eyes were determined to keep the Apaches forever dependent, which was exactly the truth. End quote. Bork was furious. This was not the way Crook had treated them. So on October 5th, 1882, Crook issued a general order to his troops. Quote, Officers and soldiers are reminded that one of the fundamental principles of the military character is justice to all, Indians as well as white men, and that disregard of this principle is likely to bring about hostilities. End quote. Crook then met with the Indian leaders at San Carlos, where the new agent was eager to cooperate with him. Crook requested the White Mountain and the Sibiku tribes be allowed to return to their villages at Fort Apache. The Apache scouts and the Indian police force were both to be commanded by Captain Emmett Crawford and Lieutenant Charles Gatewood. Sieber was to be appointed the chief of scouts as well. After the discovery of the rig scales and cattle fraud, the beat contractor was fired, and a secret service was set up to inform Crook of the ins and outs and the people coming and going, with Mickey Free as the central agent. A new diplomatic agreement between the U.S. and Mexico was reached to allow the, quote, hot pursuit of Apache raiders across the international line. Crook was ready to interpret this as liberally as possible. He and Bork traveled to Chihuahua City and met with Mayor Terrazas, who promised full cooperation if they were pursuing Apaches. However, General Sherman warned Crook that military invasion was not allowed unless authorized. Although, it is possible that this was a diplomatic cover since an advancement had been preparing for weeks prior. Crook had been bringing supplies to the town of Wilcox since March, and was waiting for an excuse to cross. His excuse was given to him that same month when Chiricahua raiders, led by a Bidonkohe warrior named Shadow, spotted a family having a picnic. Judge Hamilton C. McComas, his wife, and six-year-old son were traveling from Silver City to Lordsburg when they decided to have a picnic under a large walnut tree. As the Apaches galloped towards the family, McComas pulled out his rifle to give his wife time to escape by wagon with their son. McComas was shot down, and then the warriors used the rifle stock to butt Juniata McComas from the wagon. They smashed her head in and kidnapped little Charlie McComas. The kidnapping shocked the Southwest. Quote, Although Hispanic women and children had often been carried off by Apache raiders over the years, it was the slaughter of this prominent white couple and the kidnapping of the blonde, blue-eyed little boy that electrified the nation. End quote. Nearly a month after, Crook began to move his troops and supplies gathered at the rail station. They made base at the San Bernardino Ranch just north of the border. The main force was mostly Apache scouts commanded by Sieber and also included Frank Randall from the New York Herald as press coverage. On May 1, 1883, Crook's column crossed the international line. Somehow on the journey, Randall had caught an owl and tied it to his mule, and since an owl represented death and was an evil omen, the Apaches refused to continue until it was freed. As the column began to climb the narrow ridges of the Sierra Madre, five mules had lost their footing and fell hundreds of feet. One of those included Randall's camera and equipment. The Apaches saw this as punishment for the owl. Their luck turned as the column moved down a narrow canyon and opened into a grassy expansion with a flowing brook. This was Wood's stronghold, but it appeared they had just left. Crook called a council of officers and scout leaders to plan their next step. Crawford offered to take Sieber, Mickey, and the scouts to stay a day ahead of the column to do some reconnaissance. On May 14th, Sieber and a few scouts discovered a Chiricahua village near the Bavispe River. It appeared that most of the men were gone on a raid, so Sieber and Crawford planned to surround the village and attack at dawn. As the attack commenced, some of the Apaches fled, while five were captured and four were killed, one of which was an older woman who tried to surrender but was shot by a scout. Crawford led the captives back to Crook's camp to be interrogated. As Mickey interpreted, Crook learned that the camp belonged to Chato and Chief Chihuahua and that Charlie McComas had been there, but the boy ran away with an elderly woman. 
The captive promised that if Crook released her and her people, she would bring back the boy. Crook released her with food and moved the camp the following day. They set up smoke signals to let the Apaches find their location. Two women arrived with a white flag and told Crook that Chihuahua would talk if his white horse with the Mexican saddle were returned. The women were sent away with a requested horse and saddle. The next day, Chihuahua strode through the camp atop his white horse to meet with Crook. Crook told him he came as a friend to take them back to San Carlos. Chihuahua replied, quote, If you want me for a friend, why did you kill that old woman, my aunt? If I was trying to make friends with someone, I would not go and raid their camp and shoot their relatives. It seems to me that you are lying when you speak about being friends. End quote. Crook only repeated his peaceful intent and gave the chief some tobacco, so Chihuahua mounted his horse and left. Then, nearly a hundred women and children showed up at the camp the following day. They warned Crook of trouble when Geronimo returned from his raid. That following evening, Geronimo and his warriors appeared on the ridgetops overlooking the camp. The women waved empty flower bags to signal peace and to join them below. Some of the warriors entered the camp to check on their families. Crook had heard that Geronimo wanted to talk, but Crook wanted Geronimo to come to him. His only advantage was the number of troops, while Geronimo had knowledge of the terrain and skilled warriors, but limited firepower. Crook had no escape route planned and no backup, but he did have hostages. It was a classic Mexican standoff between Geronimo and Nat and Lupin. General Crook had a lifetime habit, some would say an obsession for hunting, and he would go at any time he felt, no matter how inappropriate. The day after Geronimo appeared, Crook decided to go bird hunting in the tall grass alone. The scouts heard the shotgun fire, then silence. Mickey went to find the general and discovered him taken prisoner by Geronimo. They talked for a couple hours before Crook convinced him to join them for breakfast at camp by having Mickey lie that two Mexican armies were on the way. Geronimo just scoffed at this. After breakfast, Geronimo left and the Chiricahua women and children arrived at the camp for food. Over the next couple days, Crook talked with Geronimo, Nyeh, Chato, and Ketane, offering them sanctuary at San Carlos. Geronimo had different plans. He held a council with his leaders to find a way to kill the Apache scouts. They planned to have a victory dance and entice the battle-worn scouts with beautiful Chiricahua women, then sneak up from behind to slit their throats. Luckily, Seber had a bad feeling about this dance and forbade his scouts from leaving camp. Crook depleted their rations by feeding the 220 Chiricahuas before they left back to San Carlos, and they would take as many Apaches that would join them. Loco and Nana brought their people for the journey, while Crook met with Geronimo one last time. Geronimo promised he would catch up after he found any scattered Chiricahuas and the lost Macomas boy. On June 10, 1883, the column made their way into Arizona, and Crook reported his, quote, triumphant capture of Geronimo. However, Bork believed that they had been tricked. Plus, they had failed in their supposed rescue mission, which was the whole reason for the campaign. Sieber led the scouts and the Chiricahuas to San Carlos, where the agent refused to be responsible for them. They were also not welcomed back by the other Indians there. Kirk went to a summit meeting in D.C. and was given full control of the Chiricahuas at San Carlos, while the agent would take care of all the other Indians. Crawford was also placed in command of the scouts and the Indian police force. Crook was criticized for his failure to locate Charlie McComas, and it did not help that Crook used the boy as leverage. Quote, I was careful to impress on them the fact that we cared very little for the boy, but showed them the great advantage it would be to them to have him return to his people. End quote. Zebra was certain the boy had perished while rumors swirled up to the 1930s that the boy grew up as a white Apache. However, it was discovered that the boy's murder was covered up, and Chihuahua's cousin had killed him over the vengeance for his mother's death. 
Months had passed with no sign of Geronimo, so Crook sent Mickey and the scouts with Lieutenant Britton Davis to find him. Nyh, Chihuahua, Ketane, and Lozen crossed the border in late October, where they later confirmed the rumors of Wa's death. He was found face down in the Rio Aros after a bout of drinking his sorrows. A few months later, Chato and 15 warriors arrived at San Bernardino Ranch. Chato would eventually join Mickey as a scout. Finally, on February 26, 1884, Geronimo and Davis met in the Animus Valley in New Mexico, with Chihuahua present. Geronimo would be settled at San Carlos on the Gila River, where he had kidnapped Loco two years before. It would not be long, though, before the Chiricahuas were sent to Turkey Creek, just southwest of Fort Apache in White Mountain Territory. Davis was placed in command there, and shortly after, his Apache spies uncovered a plot against his life. Caitanay was the suspected perpetrator, so he was arrested, tried, and sentenced to Alcatraz with three years of hard labor. This pleased Geronimo to have his rival for leadership out of the way. Gatewood warned Crook that it was likely the Chiricahuas would escape if they remained grouped together at Turkey Creek. Early one morning in May, Davis was woken by the Chiricahua leaders outside his tent. They had been drinking the band concoction Tiswin the night before and decided to confront Davis. Geronimo, Nyh, Chihuahua, Loco, and Nana were all present and expressed their grievances over the banning of the fermented drink. They also demanded their right to beat their wives, which was a long-standing issue within the Apache culture that had been used as evidence for their, quote, savagery. Chihuahua confessed that they had all been drinking and dared Davis to arrest them. Davis just responded that he was going to telegraph Crook, but as the telegraph was sent at San Carlos, Sieber saw it as nothing, so the message never reached Crook. Three days had passed with no response, and Davis was at Fort Apache when Mickey brought him the news that the Chiricahuas had left the reservation. They discovered the telegraph lines had been cut between Fort Apache and San Carlos, so Davis and Mickey returned to Turkey Creek to gather the scouts. While there, they discovered Nana, Nyh, Chihuahua, Mangus, and Geronimo had taken 134 Chiricahuas with them. Loco had been threatened to join, but he refused to lead his people out. A column of troops and scouts were put together and followed the forest fire set by the fugitives. The column turned to Fort Apache to refit the scouts and await their orders from Crook. The fleeing Indians moved rapidly and killed everyone in their way, which caused the pursuing troops to fall behind as they buried the dead. The Apache split into two groups, with Geronimo and Mangus leading one, and Nyh and Chihuahua led the other. A scout deserter caught up with Chihuahua and told him that Davis, Mickey, and Chato were following. This surprised Chihuahua because Geronimo told him that he had ordered their deaths and they must flee. Chihuahua became angry and word reached Geronimo that the chief wanted to shoot him, so Geronimo fled with Mangus and Nyh. Davis, Mickey, and Chato departed Fort Apache with scouts and a pack train on May 29, 1885 and arrived at Fort Bowie a few days later. While there, Davis received orders from Crook to rendezvous with Crawford at Skeleton Canyon. Crawford led 130 troops and scouts into Mexico with Davis leading the scouts and Sieber as chief of scouts. Mickey acted as interpreter and Chato helped to find Geronimo's rendezvous spot. After a month in Mexico, Davis, Sieber, Mickey, and Chato departed with the scouts to chase Geronimo through the Sierra Madre and the Chihuahuan Desert toward Texas. Davis and the scouts staggered into Fort Bliss, Texas and wired Crook that Geronimo was spotted moving back to New Mexico. Davis had enough of chasing Indians and resigned from the army shortly after. Geronimo journeyed to Fort Apache to rescue the families captured during the month campaign in Mexico, but discovered they were not there. His Mescalero wife and son, though, were being guarded at the Mescalero Reservation, so Geronimo quietly snuck in at night and took off with them. On October 10th, Geronimo was safely back across the border. Al Sieber and Mickey Free were ordered back to San Carlos, and Mickey returned to see his wife and son at Fort Apache. 
Crawford prepared for another mission to the Sierra Madre, but Mickey and Shadow did not re-enlist, and Seaver also refused. During this time, Chihuahua's brother crossed back into New Mexico to Fort Apache for the captured families and killed 21 people as he swept through the White Mountain camps. He had hoped to kill Mickey and Shadow, but they were away at Fort Whipple at the time. Mickey wired Fort Apache as soon as he heard the news to check on his family. They were safe. This raid brought General Sheridan to the west, where he attached New Mexico to Crook's department to help better coordinate the troops. He avidly opposed the use of Indians as soldiers, which was completely antithetical to the fact that natives had been used for help by the military since the colonial days. Sheridan disapproved of Crook's reliance on the scouts and gave him the option of removing all the Chiricahuas to either Florida or Indian Territory. Crook and Crawford both protested the removal and said it would be catastrophic. So on December 11, 1885, Crawford took his column with Lieutenant Marion Moss in command of the scouts into Sonora for another campaign after Geronimo. Before they left, Crawford confided with a friend that he had a terrible feeling he would not return. It was Christmas Day, and while the column rested in Mexico, the chief of scouts, Tom Horn, left the main column with ten scouts to follow a trail along the Eros River. They discovered the Apaches in a jumble of canyons and peaks, which was called Espinosa del Diablo, or the Devil's Backbone. Crawford caught up with the scouts on the morning of January 10th and headed north with several scouts as Horn and Mouse surrounded the camp. The mules in the camp began to bray, which caused the warriors to check on them. Some of the scouts could not resist and opened fire. The shooting became random, for it was still dark. Horn tried to rally the scouts, but to no avail. Geronimo was heard calling to the women and children, so Horn pursued, but he realized the scouts had remained in the camp. He turned his back as the warriors escaped, leaving all their supplies. Later that day, Lozen appeared to parley with Crawford and explained that Geronimo was willing to return to San Carlos. Crawford sent her back with a message to meet the next day. Early the next morning, the scouts prepared coffee and were building campfires when suddenly a shot rang out from the rocks above. Horn called out to the unseen foe that they were Americans. The firing ceased. Crawford, Moss, and Horn left their cover unarmed into the thick morning fog. Ten armed Mexicans appeared, led by Major Mauricio Corridor, the slayer of Victorio. The Apache scouts began to banter with the Mexicans, and Crawford ordered Mouse to keep them from shooting. Corridor and his men began to back away, exclaiming, No tiros, no tiros. Crawford climbed a boulder to wave a white silk handkerchief when a single shot erupted. Crawford tumbled to the ground with a gunshot wound to his head. Horn saw the freshly fired rifle in Corridor's hand before being shot point-blank in the arm. Crawford's Apache orderly approached Corridor and shot him through the heart. A gunfire battle began between the Mexicans and the scouts. It lasted about two hours and ended with the ten Mexican soldiers killed or wounded. The Mexicans called for a parley. Horn and Moss, now in charge, met with the Mexicans, and they agreed to allow an American doctor to treat their wounded. Moss then organized a retreat to the mountains to put as much distance between them and the Mexican militia. Lozen found the new camp and informed Moss that Geronimo will meet on the condition they came unarmed. Mouse, Horn, an interpreter, and several scouts met with Nyage, Nana, Chihuahua, and Geronimo a few days later, with all the Apache warriors armed. Geronimo claimed his innocence, and told them his reason for leaving was the conspiracy to kill him by Mickey Free. He then said he would meet Crook in a month or so near the border, and would send several people with them as a token of his word. When he was ready to talk, he would send up smoke signals. Moss agreed, and he led the command back across the border with Nana and several Apaches, who were sent to Fort Bowie. Crook refused to talk with Mouse because he did not return with Geronimo, so Mouse returned to the San Bernardino Ranch to wait for the signals. Crook also sent the newly released Caetané to the border to convince Geronimo of imprisonment before being allowed back at San Carlos, while General Sheridan wanted him turned over to the local authorities who demanded he be hanged. 
On March 14th, Mao spotted the smoke signals and prepared the meeting with Crook at the Canyon de los Amudos, or Canyon of the Funnels, in Mexico. Mouse wanted the meeting in the U.S., but Geronimo refused. A week and a half later, Crook arrived with Bork and C.S. Fly, a photographer from Tombstone, to record the event. Crook once again decided to go hunting, and after downing an antelope, Geronimo and Nyage appeared. Crook escorted them back to Mouse's camp, where they waited for three days and drank with the other Chiricahuas and the scouts. Kitane, Nana, and Nyage's mother, Dostase, had come along. The meeting was held on March 25th under a large sycamore. Chihuahua and his brother arrived to join as everyone settled on the shaded glade in a circle. C.S. Fly took a photograph, and the meeting began. Geronimo started by retelling his grievances and the conspiracy of his murder by Mickey Free. Crook responded that he was promised peace, yet was lied to. Tensions rose, and Crook ended on a grim note when he told Geronimo to either fight or surrender. The council broke up, and Crook later sent Catenay with his condition of surrender. Two years of imprisonment in the East, then he could return to San Carlos. The next morning, Chihuahua and Nyage talked with Crook about their surrender without Geronimo, but Crook stated that he had to surrender or there would be no deal. However, Crook added, their families would be allowed to go with them to Florida. Horn could see an obvious disconnect between Chihuahua and Geronimo. Chihuahua, Nyage, and Geronimo returned to Crook the following day to surrender, and Crook immediately sent a dispatch to Fort Bowie with the terms he offered. Then, he and his staff prepared to depart. The Chiricahua celebrated by drinking that night, and Crook left Mouse the next morning to handle the drunk Apaches. The night after Crook had left, Geronimo took off with Nyage, Lozen, 18 warriors, and 14 women and children. They broke into smaller groups as the scouts and soldiers pursued. Their trail was lost. Mouse reluctantly turned around and escorted Chihuahua's people to Fort Bowie. Crook arrived at Fort Bowie on March 29th to find the Arizona governor and its leading citizens there to greet the, quote, hero. A telegram was delivered from Sheridan that stated President Cleveland did not approve the terms of surrender. The only surrender acceptable was to be unconditional, and if the Apaches refused, the troops would destroy them. Then, Crook received the news that Geronimo had fled the next day, which infuriated Sheridan, who accused the scouts of betrayal. Crook took the side of the scouts, and on April 1st, he requested to be relieved of command, which Sheridan accepted. However, Crook had to remain there until his replacement arrived, which gave him the duty of sending Chihuahua and his people to Florida. He neglected to mention that the president had overruled him and they would not be able to return to Arizona. The Chiricahuas departed by train to Fort Marion, Florida. Before the departure, Crook gave the captain of the guard $125 to buy the Apaches coffee and treats during the trip. Crook's replacement, Brigadier General Nelson A. Miles, arrived at Fort Bowie on April 11th. He was prejudiced against the Apaches, especially the Chiricahuas, and was disturbed to find them armed at Fort Apache. He had considered removing them all to Indian Territory, but Sheridan rejected the idea. His decision was bolstered by a meeting at Fort Apache on June 30th with Jeffords and a disheveled Mickey Free. Mickey had been mourning the death of his son, who had been shot off a horse by a rival clan drunk on Tiswin. President Cleveland also agreed with Miles to move the Chiricahuas. Back in 1883, the Arizona legislature had petitioned the termination of the reservations, and in 1885, they specifically requested the abolishment of San Carlos and the White Mountain Reservation. Now, Miles had the task of selecting a delegation of Apaches to meet with Cleveland in D.C. to discuss their removal. Technically, there was no discussion to be had. The decision had been made with no say from the Apaches. Chato headed the Chiricahua delegation, Loco and Ketane headed the Warm Springs delegation, and Mickey went as an Apache-to-Spanish interpreter. 
the train rolled into D.C. on July 17, 1886, where the delegation was greeted by Bork, who treated them to the pleasures of the capital for about a week before they met with the Secretary of Interior and the Secretary of War. Then they finally met with President Cleveland after ten days. Once they arrived at the White House, Bork instructed the Apaches to not speak unless spoken to and no speeches. After the meeting, Bork joined a meeting with the President, Secretary of War, and Secretary of Interior to discuss the removal of the Chiricahuas to Florida. Bork was horrified to find them anxious to relocate them, and realized that he had no say. He withdrew from the conversation and became fixated on the President. He wrote of Cleveland in his diary later that night, quote, He impressed me as being self-opinionated, stubborn, and not too tenacious of the truth, a man of great sinuosity of morals, narrow in his views, fond of flattery, and lacking the breadth of thought which extended travel and study alone can give." Mickey began to suspect something was amiss and demanded an explanation from Bork. He explained to Mickey that the president had decided to remove all the Chiricahuas and Warm Springs Apaches from Arizona to Florida, and the delegation were now prisoners of war to be sent to Fort Marion. Mickey would accompany as an interpreter to explain that this was for their safety. The Apache leaders were presented with a document that promised their land, livestock, farm tools, and cash for life to the U.S., and were forced to sign since they were left with no alternative. Now, Miles had to get Geronimo to surrender, so he sent Lieutenant Gatewood and Horn to track the Don Cohe warrior. They picked up the trail in late August, and the scouts convinced Geronimo to meet with Gatewood. The next day, Gatewood and her translator met with Geronimo and Nih alone along the Bavispe River. Gatewood's chronic rheumatism had been acting up, and Geronimo noticed this, embraced the officer, and called him by his Apache name, Bejadesen, or Longnose. Gatewood gave Geronimo the terms of surrender, go to Florida or fight. Geronimo was stunned. He retold his story of the betrayal by Mickey Free, but Gatewood just repeated the terms, so Geronimo consulted his warriors. They wanted to return to the reservation or they would fight, but Gatewood told him that no one was left at San Carlos. Geronimo asked him what he would do if he was in the Apache's place. Gatewood responded that he would trust Miles, so Geronimo told him that they would give their answer in the morning. Geronimo and Gatewood smoked together the next day, and they both agreed that the Apaches could keep their weapons until the formal surrender with Miles. Geronimo and his people arrived at Skeleton Canyon on U.S. soil, and Geronimo met with Miles alone and unarmed. The warrior again told his tale of the plot on his life, and Miles agreed with him. Then, Geronimo asked to return to Turkey Creek, but Miles responded that the Chiricahuas were all gone and he must surrender to spare his life. Quote, This is the fourth time I have surrendered, Geronimo told Miles, who replied, And I think it is the last time. Miles escorted Geronimo, Nyage, and three other warriors to Fort Bowie and were hurried to the rail station before the president could turn them over to the Arizona citizens. The train departed the Bowie Station on September 8th, and Geronimo arrived at Fort Pickens in Florida on October 25th, while the rest were shipped to Fort Marion. Just before Miles had met with Geronimo, the Apaches at Fort Apache gathered for roll call on Ration Day to find the cavalry there to disarm them and place them in confinement. The 383 Apaches were then loaded on wagons while their livestock had been sold and proceeds were sent to them. Many of their belongings would not fit on the wagons, so they were just left as souvenirs at the depot. On September 13, 1886, the train, full of Apaches, left for the east, as hundreds of loyal dogs barked and chased the train, with some of them running over 20 miles before collapsing dead in the desert heat. Although the war had ended, the story was long from over for those involved. 
General George Crook became a major general for Sheridan's Division of Missouri, where he lobbied for the transfer of the Apaches to Indian Territory before his death on March 21, 1890, from a heart attack. Captain John Bork had taken the leader of the Indian Rights Association to visit Fort Marion and see the horrendous sanitary conditions for the 489 Chiricahuas crammed in the building. This act ruined his army career, and he was sent to the border of Mexico. Bork died at age 49 on June 8, 1896, but his crusade to help the Apaches was not in vain because the Chiricahuas were eventually moved from Fort Marion to Mount Vernon Barracks in Alabama. Escaminzan had made a little settlement south of the San Carlos Reservation for years. It was seen as the embodiment of Apache assimilation to the white world, but to most people, an Apache was an Apache. In May of 1891, Escaminzan and all the Apaches were arrested and taken from the farm to Mount Vernon Barracks. Clum visited in 1894 and was surprised to find him there. When he asked Eskimenzen why he was a prisoner, the Apache responded, quote, Great lies, you know. Clum sent a letter to the Indian Rights Association, and Eskimenzen and his people were quietly returned to San Carlos in November of 1894. Eskimenzen died a year later. Al Sieber was the one to convince the commander at San Carlos to arrest Eskimenzen and his people, but he was eventually banished after trying to expose the commander of using forced labor. He was crushed to death by an avalanche of boulders on February 19, 1907. Tom Jeffords, a.k.a. Taglito, became a hermit, never married, and died in February of 1914. He was made famous by the 1947 novel Blood Brother by Elliot Arnold, which inspired the TV series Broken Arrow. Lozen was imprisoned at Mount Vernon and was among the first to contract and die from tuberculosis. She was buried in an unmarked grave. The Apaches were transferred from Mount Vernon to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. In 1913, the government offered them the choice to stay and receive land allotments or relocate to the Mescalero Reservation. Some Apaches stayed, donning the title of the Fort Sill Apaches, while most returned to New Mexico. Nyeh had emerged as a great leader to the Chiricahuas before his death in 1921. Chihuahua died at Fort Sill in 1901, as well as Loco and Mangus. Caitanya returned to New Mexico and died in 1918. Back in 1863, Mangus Coloradus's body was exhumed shortly after his hasty burial, and the head was removed for scientific purposes. It was gifted to phrenologist Professor Orson Squire Fowler, who put it on display from 1864 until it vanished. It was rumored to have ended up at the Smithsonian. Although Geronimo was a prisoner, he was treated as a tourist attraction while at Fort Pickens, Florida. He was taught to write his name so he could sell his autograph for 10 cents and his photograph for $2. Geronimo and fellow prisoners remained at Fort Pickens when the other Apaches at Fort Marion were moved to Alabama until May of 1888, where they were transferred to join with their people. When they were moved to Fort Sill, Geronimo was still a bit of a celebrity until his death on February 17, 1909. He was found lying half-submerged in a creek all night after he fell from his horse in a drunken stupor near Lawton, Oklahoma. This caused the development of pneumonia, which caused his death. The passing of Geronimo had liberated the Chiricahuas from their status as prisoners, which influenced the government's decision to let them return to New Mexico. And for the man whose kidnapping had led to this long, gruesome war, Mickey Free had become broken after the death of his wife, Ethel, in 1900. He moved to a one-room, sodden stone hut alone to tend to his little vegetable patch until he died in the spring of 1914. The exact date is unknown, but he was buried Apache-style, while the white world took no notice of his passing.
And that's the end of this series. So once Geronimo was finally captured and imprisoned, the country felt that the Apaches had all been subdued and the citizens of New Mexico and Arizona could feel safe knowing the native people could not return to their homes. I want to thank you all so much for joining me on this journey into the longest war America has fought on its own soil. It would not have been possible without the book The Apache Wars by Paul Andrew Hutton. I did not realize I would be endeavoring in this four-part series when I first picked up this book. I really would like to do a series like this again, but I won't know until I find the right book. So if you have any suggestions or questions or even comments, please email me at whywearehearepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Why We Are Here Podcast and on Twitter at Why We're Here Pod to see pictures from the books related to the episodes. I would like to conclude this series with a quote that I think best summarizes why Geronimo may be the best known Apache and why this devastating and extensive war had been pushed aside. The quote comes from Theodore Roosevelt responding to the reason he selected Geronimo, the greatest killer in the U.S. at the time, to ride in his 1905 inaugural parade. Quote, I wanted to give the people a good show.